you know, translating that into um, sort of numbers that are probably might be easier to understand, you know, on average, counties lost one primary care physician per, per county. And on average, um, about five primary care physicians were lost per 100,000 population between the years of 2005 and 2015. Well, at the same time, counties gained more than three specialists per county and on average gained three specialists per 100,000 population. So at the same time, primary care was going down, specialists are increasing. In terms of the impact on life expectancy, I should just say that we were amazed to see such a large impact, especially one that compared to the effect of smoking or obesity on life expectancy. That was Russ Phillips, our guest this week. Russ is the senior author of an article recently published in JAMA Internal Medicine entitled Association of Primary Care Physicians Supply with Population Mortality in the United States, 2005 to 2015. He's also the director of the Harvard Medical School Center for Primary Care and the William Applebaum Professor of Medicine at HMS. He joins us to talk about this important new article and what it means for our specialty, health policy and medical education. This is Review of Systems and I'm David Rosenthal, a primary care physician at Yale School of Medicine. I'm Thomas Kim, I'm a family physician in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm Audrey Provenzano, a primary care physician in the Boston area. And Russ, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So before we talk about the article, Russ, um, I would love to hear a, the story about how the research question came about. How did you and your collaborators come up with this? I'm sure. Well, we have a, a team of collaborators, all of whom are primary care physicians, and we're really eager to tell the story of primary care through data and felt that we had an opportunity to, um, to really look into and explore to what extent primary care saves lives. We all had experiences from our own practices and stories that we could share and really wanted to back it up with data. Um, years ago, maybe 15 years ago, she and Starfield had done a really beautiful and elegant study looking at the association between primary care density or primary care supply and life expectancy. Um, but those were done in a time where these approaches weren't as sophisticated. We felt we had an opportunity to look at changes in primary care supply over time and whether there might be an associated change in primary care, uh, change in life expectancy. So uh, briefly, let's review what you did uh, and, and correct us if we get something wrong here. Uh, you looked at the changes, like you mentioned, the changes in uh, primary care physician density and specialist uh, density over a period of time between 2005 to 2015, so 10 years. And then you drew those numbers based uh, on the number of general practitioners, family uh, physicians, general internal medicine, and general pediatrics physicians per 100,000 in each U.S. county and district of Columbia. And you drew these numbers from different databases, the AMA Physician Master File, From then you look at the populations based off the U.S. Census, uh, and then you took health outcomes from a variety of different data uh, databases. That's right. We use death records from the National Bureau for Health Statistics, for instance. Yeah, and it seems like it was a very broad sample. So it was um, over 3,000 counties, more than 7,000 primary care service areas, over 300 hospital referral regions. Um, and it seems like in terms of the outcomes and looking at the National Center for Health Statistics um, and the census data, you then put sort of the health-related deaths into sort of five categories or buckets, cardiovascular, cancer deaths, infectious disease, respiratory deaths, uh, substance use disorder deaths, and or injury. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, we actually chose areas that we thought we'd see improvements in mortality, 
except for deaths by interpersonal violence, which we really wanted to use as sort of a control factor where we expected we wouldn't see a relationship between primary care density and life expectancy. Hmm. Then, as, as we laid out, you compared the time points 2000 and 2015, and the primary outcome you looked at was life expectancy, and secondary outcomes were cause-specific, mortality, and mean survival time. Is that about right? Anything to add there? I'm sure. That's great. Um, You know, we also compared primary care physicians' impact on life expectancy and mortality to that of specialist physicians. Mm. Oh, right. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. So we can kind of dive into a little bit about some of the findings, and please correct us if we get any of the the facts wrong. But overall, sort of the general um, gestalt that I saw was that primary care supply increased over that 10-year period from about 196,000 physicians to 204,000. But given the increase in population growth, there were disproportionate losses in primary care providers where the population increased. So overall, the the density of primary care uh, physicians decreased with greater losses in rural area. And then furthermore, um, sort of modeling it out for every 10 additional primary care physicians per 100,000 population, um, one of the the interesting statistics is that there was an associated 51.5 days uh, increase in life expectancy in those counties. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, translating that into um, sort of numbers that are probably might be easier to understand, you know, on average, counties lost one primary care physician per, per county, and on average, um, about five primary care physicians were lost per 100,000 population between the years of 2005 and 2015. Well, at the same time, counties gained more than three specialists per county, and on average, gained three specialists per 100,000 population. So at the same time, primary care was going down, specialists are increasing. In terms of the impact on life expectancy, I should just say that we were amazed to see such a large impact, especially one that compared to the effect of smoking or obesity on life expectancy. Yeah. And it's interesting uh, comparing it to specialists because maybe just, you know, any any specialty care, any physician in the area is helpful, uh, could be speculated. But really, when you looked at specialists, uh, for every 10 additional specialists per 100,000 people, uh, there was only a 19.2 day increase in life expectancy compared to 51 and a half for primary care providers. Yeah, and that was interesting to us. We were actually surprised to see such a large difference. Um, we should point out, though, that the confidence intervals for primary care and specialists were overlapping. Yeah. So we really didn't make a point of claiming that primary care necessarily does a better job than specialists of saving lives. You know, if you, for instance, looked at cardiologists versus primary care physicians um, for cardiovascular mortality, the point estimate was higher for for cardiologists than primary care. But again, those were overlapping um, confidence intervals. So don't see those those as being statistically significantly different. Oh, that's really interesting. Russ, you mentioned this earlier and that this study is really building off the work of of Sheehan Starfield than previously, but with more sophisticated methods. So I wonder if you could just briefly talk about why this study is closer to establishing um, a better association between primary care and life expectancy and how how this goes beyond past ecological studies. You did a lot of different things like looking at uh, different geographic levels, uh, something called an instrumental variable analysis, falsification testing. Tell us why this is something more robust than, than what's been in the literature before. Yeah, so I think, you know, based on the different methods that we used, we were able to um, sort of address the issue of confounding 
um, in a stronger way. We were able to sort of measure what the impact would need to be of a confounder in order to make a difference and found that, in fact, um, if there was a confounder we didn't adjust for, it would have had to have a very main, very large impact, so it was unlikely to make a difference. Um, we were able to address sort of ecologic issues by looking at changes over time, which is different than um, what she and Starfield had done as well. Um, so we really had a number of different approaches. Um, as I mentioned, we also tested some factors such as um, death by injury to show that, in fact, there was no association between primary care supply and life expectancy when we looked at that that factor. So again, it just lended credibility to our findings. Hmm. So one part of the study that was really uh, striking to me um, in the discussion was, you know, the association between PCP density and life expectancy was about one-fifth of the magnitude of the association between poverty and life expectancy. So they laid it out about 33 days versus 149 days. You know, Russ, what do you make of that? I think that it's such a, putting it in, putting it quantitatively like that uh, is so striking, especially, you know, with all these discussions we're having around social determinants of health now and kind of trying to move upstream. Yeah, so um, so it's not really surprising. There was a paper that Steve Schroeder wrote in the New England Journal, I think maybe 10 or 12 years ago, where he sort of looked at the different factors that are associated with uh, premature mortality. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, health behaviors, I think, um, was approximately, you know, 40% contribution to, right. to early um, mortality, whereas social determinants I don't remember the exact numbers, but social determinants was, you know, 25 or 30 percent. Healthcare itself was only about 10 percent. And so it just points out that healthcare, you know, relative to everything else that happens in terms of life experiences is um, less important than some of these other factors. So so it wasn't really surprising to me that social determinants or poverty would be so important. I guess what was surprising to me that given sort of that prior expectations regarding the importance of healthcare relative to social determinants, it was striking that primary care had such a large impact. Mm. Hmm. So I was really struck by this, and I've seen that data before, um, and it gets to the point of, I thought of what's the overall mission of, our, of the enterprise of healthcare, and if the overall mission is, is health and well-being, when you look at us versus, I say us versus them, but in, in fact it's all of us, right, the, the healthcare itself is only a modest improvement in health and well-being. But of that, it was really uh, significant in this paper to me, sort of the difference in the impact of primary care within that. Hmm. And then when, when you figure that the overall healthcare spend of most in the United States is about only, what, 6% overall healthcare spend is in primary care, whereas in other countries uh, that have different systems, it's closer to, you know, high-performing systems maybe double that, right? 10 to, right. 10 to 50%, 10-12%. It kind of gets to the, the crux of the question. Right. And I'm curious, Russ, what your what your perception of, of that is. How do we translate this information into catalyzing for change if the overall mission of the enterprise is to get better health and well-being? Yeah, I think that's a really important um, point. You know, I think the data on healthcare spend or healthcare investment um, is really key. And, um, you know, as you said, in the United States, we're closer to 5 to 6% um, of healthcare spend going to primary care. And you wonder sort of what the impact would be on lives saved or on quality of life if, in fact, we were able to double that investment. 
you know, from um, international comparisons, increased investment in primary care leads not only to better health outcomes, but also leads to lower total costs, improved quality of care as well. And um, you'd really wonder sort of what we might be able to achieve if we were to increase health spend or primary care spend in this country. So, Russ, do you feel like this is the study that may change people's minds if they were teetering on the fence about the value of primary care is? I mean, you mentioned there, there's been studies before that look at this, uh, but, you know, we're in the predicament that we are now as a health system. What, what do you feel like are the prospects that this will change some policy? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think it takes more than one paper to change policy. We have gotten a lot of positive feedback uh, from this, and I think it does it clearly show the um, the importance of the the value of primary care. You know, we're interested in doing other studies that look at the impact of primary care supply or primary care investment on total medical spend. For instance, we've done a paper where we look at increased primary care spend in Rhode Island and showed that that initiative actually reduced um, total medical spend. Um, I think there's a lot more work for us to do in order to really demonstrate the, the value of primary care and the impact of investing uh, in primary care on such factors as life expectancy on quality of care and on total medical costs. I think that sort of lends to the next question that I have about transformation work. And you, you talk about one paper, but there's now, I would argue that this adds to the sort of larger, a larger growing body of evidence to suggest that we need to invest much heavily, much more heavily in primary care resources. And, and I guess the question is, how do we get this kind of evidence along with all the other building to actually operationalize it into the folks that kind of determine healthcare spend, which in this country is the um, do we need more primary care specialties represented on that body? How do we transform from sort of this fee for service mantra into more investments in primary care up front? Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, you're actually touching on a number of issues. Um, one is, you know, sort of the question of why is primary care spend where it is? And a lot of that has to do with the RUC that you just referred to and how primary care is being paid for through the fee-for-service fee system. Um, there was a commentary article that came out in the same um, issue of, the, um, of JAMA Internal Medicine in which our paper was published that actually addressed the issue of payment and said that if payment doesn't change, then it's going to be very difficult to change the status of primary care, the work of primary care, or the impact of primary care. And they also addressed the workforce shortage that we saw, that we certainly saw being created between 2005 and 2015, mm -hmm. projected that forward and suggested that we're going to continue to lose primary care physicians unless we're able to do something related to payment. Um, there are a variety of ways to adjust payment, and that can be done through increasing the primary care spend. It can be done through value-based payments. It can be adjusting fee-for-service payments. And I think all of those things are, are happening. Um, in terms of how to make that happen, I think we as primary care physicians need to become much stronger advocates for ourselves than I think we've been in the past and need to think about how we, how we organize and advocate for primary care. Outside of spending, which I think the commentary did a great job uh, addressing, uh, there's lots of other places in the, especially in the primary care workforce pipeline, uh, that I wonder if this will be you know, these types of studies uh, influence or impact uh, educators and in, in to really try and emphasize or or encourage the trainees to go into primary care. The AAFP, as a result of, I think actually it's the result of the Family Medicine for America's Health initiative, is really looking at trying to get what 25% of 
medical students into family medicine by 2030. What kind of impact do you think this can have on uh, on the pipeline? Yeah, so I think it can have an important effect. Again, it's sort of parting part. Of, I think we need to do a better job at sharing stories as primary care physicians, sharing stories of the impact of primary care on patients' lives, the important role that we can play in, in primary as primary care physicians, both in saving lives, improving quality of life, reducing overall costs, improving quality of care, you know, all of those things. And we need to be able to show, share stories, but also share data about it. I think we need to function better as champions of primary care within medical schools um, so that we can try to address culture within medical schools. I think a lot of it, though, still comes back to, to payment and how we can sort of try to advocate for better payment so that primary care work itself is better supported. Um, but also think that we need to continue to work on primary care transformation that would change the work that we do as primary care physicians and potentially help to surround us and make us part of teams that really help us to do the work of primary care and without burning out, which is a huge issue across the profession right now. So I think one of the things that I really liked about this study is it shows quantitatively what we see qualitative every day in our clinic. I wondered if any of you have examples of how you have seen the value of primary care play out for your patients in your clinic particularly with this outcome that we hope for that seems like the interventions that we're able to make, the balancing of care, the emphasis on uh, patients' wishes and making whatever interventions are made as patient-centered as possible ultimately leads to people living longer, healthier lives. Does anyone have a story that they want to share? So I've actually been practicing a long time, so I um, <laughs> have, have a lot of stories um, and can you know share some. You know, One is a uh, um, a woman that I've taken care of since she was a young woman and um, presented, actually I met her first in the hospital where she had alcoholic hepatitis and um, it was an alcoholic, um, was drinking a lot and actually had several hospitalizations where she was quite ill. She became my primary care physician, my primary care patient and over time we developed a relationship where I was actually able to help her stop drinking and it totally reversed her hepatitis and she was able to go back um, join the workforce and she's now been abstinent for probably close to 20 years and every time i see her we celebrate what has really become a wonderful life for her which i'm sure would have been very different had she not been able to stop drinking yeah. you know clearly i was only part of that um, it was aa it was the resources she brought to it um, but a lot of it had to do with the trusting relationship um, that we developed over time and my ability to help her sort of change that um, really destructive health behavior. Hmm. Um, I have other stories, you know, a patient who presented with anemia who turned out to have a colon cancer that we detected early and when I see him we celebrate um, that. That now goes back, you know, till before we were doing regular colonoscopies. Wow. Um, now, of course, through colonoscopies we prevent mortality uh, or the the, the possibility of mortality all the time um, so that nobody should be dying of, of colon cancer. And that's one of the important impacts of primary care. Yeah. And I, I one comes to mind of, of a patient that I work with is sort of like the combination of both primary care and social determinants of health, who um, I've been practicing here for almost seven years now in the, in the homeless clinic here at, in, in the VA. And um, when we met this patient, he was living under a bridge for a number of years with severe alcohol use disorder and marijuana use disorder, but also 
really sort of haunted by his my positive symptoms of schizophrenia. And um, I think through a collaborative approach, both by engaging in primary care and with our housing teams, we were able to really um, help him get housed. And it was really a housing first mechanism that got him out from the bridge and into, and then with a slow engagement in primary care, realizing that we were helping him and we wouldn't have any agenda except to be in his corner. He really opened up and now sees us regularly He's been doing great in his in his apartment for over four or five years now. I can't say that he, he still struggles with sobriety, although he's had a month of sobriety this month, which is fantastic. And he comes to visit us. He cooks. He's an expert chef. Uh, <laughs> takes his um, occasionally his antipsychotic medication, which helps him. And you know he's living a, a much better, higher quality of life because of the social determinants work that we had, but also sort of the access and continuity and coordination work that our team was able to provide. So there's tons of these stories out there. Yeah. Uh, it's very satisfying. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. And I think it's an example of the kind of inspiring, this kind of story that can really inspire students who are thinking about um, choosing careers where they can make an impact on patients' lives. Definitely. You know, it's interesting. For me, I don't know why. It was hard to come up with an example of, of where we're thinking of times where, yes, uh, because of my work, I saved someone's life. Uh, and that's not really the framework we generally think about uh, doing our work in primary care. We, a lot of people talk about uh, the relationships we build and the comprehensiveness of the care we provide and the c continuity in, uh, in that care. Um, so I, I did pull um, our clinic, uh, which has about uh, 9 to 10 FTEs of, of physicians, uh, we gave out 7,000 vaccines last year. Just, this is just childhood vaccines. And so I know the number needed to treat for some things can be in the hundreds, but I was pretty proud of that fact that um, just for uh, children uh, getting ready for school or doing their routine uh, well childs, uh, we had given out that many uh, vaccines in, in just the last year. And I'm sure there are some uh, major complications that we prevented along the way. If I can add just one more little anecdote before we, we sign off here shortly, but I just wanted to come back on something that, that Dr. Phillips said, which was about sort of the magnitude of impact that primary care had, even in relation to things such as smoking and uh, obesity-related deaths. And it's just how profound that impact was. Mm -hmm. And I was actually thinking to myself after reading this, you know, do we need a Surgeon General's report on the shortage of primary care? Because that is the, the level of impact that this has. Yeah, I wanted to add also, like, I feel like this is the, the low bar of what primary care could achieve, the 52-day increase in life expectancy. Like, the study doesn't look at, you know, the scope of practice, what services uh, folks are providing. You know, it doesn't look at whether people are prescribing, you know, uh, for substance use disorder or, or what kind of things they're uh, having to refer out. In, in the setting of a really robust primary care workforce that's able to take care of lots of things in their uh, community, uh, I feel like there could be even uh, more of an impact. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, I, I do think a Surgeon General's report sounds like a really exciting idea. The um, the National Academies of Medicine, I think, is about to embark on a, a report on primary care. Um, there are other organizations that are doing terrific advocacy work. Um, the Patient-Centered Primary Care Collaborative, which is a national uh, collaborative started by employers, is uh, advocating around primary care spend. And I just read um, a, the recent uh, MedPAC or the Medicare Payment Commission is actually doing, uh, is thinking about advocacy that would address the primary care shortage. You know, they've always been strong advocates for increasing payments for primary care and are now thinking about ways to use Medicare payments for loan repayment and other things that potentially will make primary care more attractive as a career. 
Wonderful. Russ, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, for having me, it was great talking with you all. Okay, you've been listening to Review of Systems, a podcast featuring conversations about the changing healthcare landscape from the Harvard Center for Primary Care. Check out our website, primarycare.hms.harvard.edu, and click on ROS Podcast along the top to subscribe. And you can also find a link to the paper we discussed today. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, wherever you listen and it helps others find the show uh, please also share us on social media and with your friends and with your colleagues uh, you can find me at thomas o kim on twitter and our show at ros podcast where can they find you guys this is audrey i'm at audrey mdmph and i'm at david rosenthal i don't know what my hashtag is but at david rosenthal this is Russ. I was just going to say i'm at russell underscore phillips at hms.harvard.edu and i'd love to hear from you All right, tweet us your feedback and suggestions or email us at contact at rospod.org. Thanks for listening.